This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dad, I assume Tom. Ramadan starts this week, and I am talking to my second favorite Iranian Muslim, along with <laughs> someone who is way more of a New Yorker than Andrew Schultz, who claimed that he was a ride or die guy and then ended up in Miami. Negan Farsad, how are you? Hi, it's so good to be here on uh, on an auspicious start of Ramadan. Yeah, uh, we're into the third episode now of Bird Girl. So, you know, we're having fun with that. You get to play the potential semi-villainous Meredith the Mind Taker. Because anyone that can play with your head has the potential of being a villain. <laughs> yeah, I take people's minds. I, uh, and I think so far the show has me doing it for good, but we'll see if, like, if a semi-villainy comes through. Who knows? It's possible. Uh, cause that is a great power, um, that I wish that I, Nagin Farsad had, uh, but it's fun at least to play a, a green, you know, Meredith the Mind Taker who can give people, you know, complexes about, uh, you know, their childhood and stuff. Right. Nothing has been for financial gain at this point, which could have easily been planted in episode one. But no, it's just sitting here and having your fun. And we won't go into episode three. We'll give people a chance to catch up on that. But the first two were pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, they're so great. I mean, people really love the Harvey Birdman um you know, the Harvey Birdman series, attorney, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so this is like bird girl is his daughter and, um, sort of taking over the company and, uh, and also, you know, fighting for the city, uh, when she needs to. Um, and sometimes, uh, a giant maniacal man eating toilet wants to take over the city. Well, hold you know? on with the, and, and with the man eating toilet thing. Though. Hold Sorry? on with the man-eating toilet thing, though. Okay. Is Brian really a villain? Because he did kill Scott with one T. So that's um, what, that's like kind of heroic when you kill the chubby hipster with a bad attitude. Oh, you know what? I didn't look at it that way. But, yeah, so you're saying he's, he did people a favor. He did people a favor. He's the anti-hero of the show. Right, right, right. He's the, he's like, he's breaking bad, uh, yeah. basically. And he's gonna be, I don't know, doing like a, a home operation, home meth operation soon enough. <laughs> there you go. But you're keeping busy, you're doing everything, you still got your stand up going, well, not now during the world falling apart and everybody locked down in an eight foot by eight foot apartment in New York. But can I tell you tell that me. stand up in New York has been fantastic throughout the pandemic this is like a really? weird thing that i don't think people know because what a lot of the clubs did was they put they started doing outdoor shows and rooftop shows so i basically did rooftop shows you know throughout the entire time um and you know we had it entered like big big people were out here doing uh rooftop shows we even had people like bill burr flying in from los angeles so he could do rooftop shows you know in new york so um and then the clubs just opened two weeks ago so now i'm on i don't know i've, I've performed indoors like six or seven times already. And uh, I got to be honest, this breathing indoors thing is phenomenal. If, uh, if you haven't tried it yet, go get yourself vaccinated and, uh, and, and hopefully you'll be able to do it as well safely. Um, but no, the clubs are doing great. They're like, you know, doing social distancing and all that stuff. So it kind of feels like um, this like thing we, I see in everybody's future in America of like these small little victories, you know, that will, hopefully lead to like the biggest victory of them all just regular normalcy well we'll hope well what's normal <laughs> we, we've had our divisions for like the last 12 years so hopefully normalcy will be some middle ground yeah we yes normalcy <laughs> isn't just like everyone's just like stable for a minute <laughs> that that would be amazing yeah Every, you got everything else going on i mean you've done so much you still have your patreon running you still have your podcast uh, you've worked with Neil deGrasse Tyson on, on Star Talk. Uh, Fake the Nation is still going. Uh, you know, like your mom's 
pretending to finally be proud of you because you didn't become a lawyer, but people know who you are and she can show you off in front of your three cousins that all went to law school or medical school. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, it's, it's interesting, like how, um, sorry. Um, there, I'm also doing the work from home thing where there's a toddler and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it gets chaotic. So folks, there was, my husband just had to walk through the room because something for my daughter is in here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been, I've been, you know, like luckily the whole podcasting world, um, and the print world obviously, you know, kind of continued on, um, throughout the pandemic. So I, uh, I started working with Neil deGrasse Tyson on Star Talk. Um, it's a really fun show in which I get to sort of come in and be the dumb comedian with scientists who are like actually teaching us something. Um, and invariably I'll do a Star talk episode and then uh and then later that day i'll you know i'll tell a friend or something oh did you know um that the death of star like it you know if, if, if a star dies um and we see it here it actually happened like several million years ago like i'll just drop little tidbits that i learned by by co-hosting that podcast as if i'm a smart person um but it's uh it's really fun to like be able to like uh you know that's as as, as close i get to being a doctor Doctor that would have made my parents happy is that I get to like talk to scientists sometimes. Um, so Iranians, hey, I'm I'm very I'm scientist adjacent uh, at least um, a couple times a month. Well, as you know, we have five professions in the <laughs> Middle East. We have some form of field of science. We have some form of field of law. Some form of field of engineering the tolerable business degree, and then where you and I fall in is the shame of the family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, and the, by the way, the only way I have escaped being the utter shame of the family and I'm just regular shame of the family is that I had a kid. If I didn't, <laughs> if I had had a kid, I would have been, it would have been depths of despair, utter shame of the family. But having a kid, for those of you who are out there who might be in the arts um, or in something that your parents don't understand, like HR, uh, for those of us who are out there, um, having a child does help the situation. So I highly recommend that for familial relations. <laughs> this is actually true. When my cousin married a white girl <laughs> and the firstborn <laughs> son came, all was forgiven. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But, you know, Ramadan is upon us. It's, it's coming quick, actually, you know, uh, sometime this week. Uh, I'm not Muslim, but I know, you know, you are. And you, you didn't catch the fact that I said that you're my second favorite Muslim and didn't call me out on who my first is. Well, I didn't, you know what? It's funny because I thought about it and then I was like, no, should I put him on the spot? I don't know. Who is your first favorite? Um... It's your mom, because if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't be here. Good answer. There it is. I, you know what? I thought you were going to say it's Maz Jobrani because that's what most people say. It's the comedian Maz Jobrani. And he is also my favorite Iranian American, uh, Muslim comedian. So, you know, uh, I don't even begrudge them putting me second. My unintentional favorite, uh, Iranian comedian, Muslim Iranian comedian was a professor I had at San Francisco State University. Uh, during the history of Islam class because he was Persian and Shia and the majority of the class was Sunni and Arab. And, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, fine. you know, little bit of conflict. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he almost made this Saudi guy cry and it was completely unintentional. And that's why the professor is still my favorite Iranian comic of all time. <laughs> you know what's funny about the, the Sunni Shia divide? Is that, you know, the minute you're in America or like at probably anywhere in the diaspora, it's sort of, you know, you, you meet someone, I don't even know, like my, my Muslim friends, uh, you know, I, I have a very good Muslim friend and I, I honestly never even asked him if he's Sunni or she, like it doesn't, it doesn't come up. It's like in America, we're like, Hey, you know what I mean? Embrace. Um, and so I think in the, in that's the fun thing about being in the diaspora is some of those like, uh, ethnic and sectorial divisions like sort of fade away. And we all just like, you know, we all just like, watch Netflix together. There's no real, 
until you Nothing find really out he's sleepy, and then it, and then it's game over. You find out he's Sufi, and that's when the party really begins because the Sufis are the fun ones, right, Muslims? They start getting dizzy, spinning around the whole time. That's it. <laughs> you know, how many cups of tea can we pour at once? They have a lot of CBD oil on hand. Are the Sufis? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about Ramadan, though, is um, it's funny because I, I've always wished that I was like, you know, that I could visit um, a Muslim country for a little bit of Ramadan to see like how how they break fast and what are like what a big deal it is for everybody and the TV shows and the whole like nightlife culture. Um, but one of the things I really like about Ramadan that I feel like gets short shrift is that it's also a time to like give up something um, like anger or, um, you know, it's about mending bridges. And um, and so there's like a really beautiful aspect of Ramadan that gets doesn't get as much marketing because of the fat. The fasting gets all the hype. Right. But I feel like the real juice is in the, uh, you know, giving up anger and and mending, mending conflict and all that stuff. So which cousin did you finally forgive after 25 years of being <laughs> mad at him for stealing your favorite toy? You know what? I, I just, I like, I decide, you know, what my, this Ramadan, I think my goal is going to be to have customer service conversations, like at, like on 1-800 numbers that don't involve me, like, like losing it for a few minutes and then apologizing. Like, I just want to not, I want to try and not lose it with a customer service rep because those poor guys, it's and it's what because it's the most infuriating situation when you're calling you got a false charge or whatever whatever dumb thing is that you have to call and invariably you do have to call um it's like it's not their fault you know what i mean and and like i try so hard to keep it together and invariably i'm like how is this happening and then i'm like oh i'm so sorry i'm sorry sorry i didn't mean to raise my voice but um but how is it happening you know uh so this ramadan i would love to challenge myself to like not even go into the first like raising a voice that, i don't know if i can do it we'll see if i can do it let's see a persian from Southern California, living in New York. Ramadan begins April 19th at midnight. I give you till April 19th, 8 a.m. Pacific. <laughs> you can give me one night of sleep where I don't dream of raising my voice at a customer service rep. Exactly. You get one full night of sleep. Your husband has to take care of the baby. And, like, you're in the other room. <laughs> You're like, listen, Hussein, it's going to be another hard 39 days you're going to have to deal with me, all right? The pregnancy was nothing. <laughs> oh, man. We actually, you know, my, my, um, my second film is, is uh, called The Muslims Are Coming, and uh, we actually did part of that tour during Ramadan, which is, it was just an accidental, like, I rounded up a bunch of Muslim American comedians to go on the road to visit all these places in America and do stand-up shows. And it just so happens that most of us weren't fasting, but one of us <laughs> were fasting. And so it was just like, um, it was like, so sorry. This was the only time that the schedules worked for everybody was during Ramadan. So like, can you just please tour while also observing Ramadan? Thank you. All right, uh, so, I'm going to guess yeah. it was... Either, uh, Omar Elba or, uh, Dean Abdallah that was fasting. No, no maybe no, not no. Dean. Dean doesn't fast. Yeah. Uh, it was me, me, Soon Zayed actually okay. fasted. Um, and she was a, she was a trooper about it. Uh, there well, was I had to throw Dean where... out there because his mom's Mormon. So that'd just be the only funny part is the guy who's half Mormon. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Gator's mom is Mormon. That's Aaron right. Aaron Gator. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, right. I think Dean's dad is Jordanian, right? He's Palestinian. Palestinian. No, again, Aaron is uh, is Jordanian. Yeah. Um, and, Listen, uh, they're both fair skin. And, I can't tell them apart. It's okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't tell fair skin Muslims apart. <laughs> That's a totally a thing. We just assume they're Albanian. Those are the Albanian <laughs> Muslims over there. <laughs> Some Albanian guy's going to hear this and go, he's lucky he's Middle Eastern. Or else we wouldn't let this happen. Well, now I'm doing the Persian accent for the Albanian. Everyone gets you know, the Persian accent. Uh, you know, I like... I, there's, um, 
there, you know, when I first moved to New York, like the first crew of Muslims I met were like the people that worked in my building. They were like out Al- the Albanian Muslims. And so I got a lot of, um, you know, like free help or like, you know, I would, they'd come and fix something in my apartment and I'd try and tip them. They're like, no, that is fine. Uh, so I got some, you know, and then the other, the other great thing about being Muslim in New York city, um, is, uh, you walk into a store, you do, you ask Alamaleko on somebody, you'll get like a one to $3 discount. You know what I mean? Really? You'll okay. get like, free raspberries or something if it's a fruit stand. I mean, I have really cleaned up on um on on Muslim affiliation. That is my my Muslim privilege is a minor discount at some stores. So, uh I'll take it. You know what I mean? I ha- I don't I don't enjoy any other type of privilege. So, if that that's my one, uh I'm I'm into it. Here, enjoy these persimmons. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> some just extra dates like in a, you know, you're like, I, this is Best Buy. How am I getting extra dates? They just always have extra dates. Of course. There's just a section for dates at Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> if it's run by a Muslim, I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, the, keep- the manager is Muslim. We're looking at a dates <laughs> section. Well, you're keeping busy like crazy. I mean, how old's how old's your daughter now? You, two years old now? She's two, yeah. Wow. So everything is no, 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 mine, mine, mine at this point. Yes. And it's no, 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 my, my, mine in two languages. So cause I speak to her in Farsi, um, I, which I expect uh, some sort of award from other Iranians that I speak with to her in Farsi. But, um, yeah. And so she's really in a like, no, 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 mine, my, mine. Uh, she, it's just, it's, she's also, it's funny because she's like got some words and whatever, but, um, you know, she's calling her genitals, all all of her genitals, she calls her butt. So it's either her front butt or her back butt. Um, and so she just says a lot of, like, ridiculous, cute things. And then, you know, and that confusion around genitalia is also in Farsi. Like, she makes the same mistake <laughs> in two languages that I do not correct. <laughs> I'm like, because front butt is hilarious to call something a front butt. So this anyways, I'm into it. <laughs> I think Patrice O'Neill used to have a joke about that. When you get so about fat, front butt? yeah, when you get so fat that you end up with a front butt. I think that's what <laughs> I think it was a Patrice O'Neill joke. <gasps> that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh my god! <laughs> and how's your husband handling the Farsi thing? You know what? I mean, his Farsi has gotten so much better since this child because you and he, you know, he sort of understands what I'm talking to because I'm, you know, me and the kid, we're not talking about Kierkegaard. You know what I mean? Right. We're talking about sippy cups and, um, eggs for breakfast and stuff like that. We're just, we're not having high level conversations. So I think it's really easy for him to sort of learn Farsi because the level that I'm speaking to her is so basic. Um, that, you know, he can sort of also pick it up along the way, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's been really good, um, as well, you know, and he'll, he'll say some words, uh, to her in Farsi and, you know, because we just, I, I said to him, like, if you do know any word in Farsi, use it because of obviously her dominant language is going to be English. Um, but if I, well, if we want to make this work, we have to sort of like, give her as much Farsi as we can to come counteract the dominant language. Um, so, you know, so we'll see how it goes so far. She's, she's doing a bunch of Farsi. That's perfect. And it, what's even better is that they're both at the same toddler level of Farsi. So, <laughs> yeah. so they can develop their linguistic skills together. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm teaching two toddlers how to speak Farsi. <laughs> Except the one can reach the top shelf for you. <laughs> Which he does regularly. That's like, that's such a stereotype of dudes in a, in houses that's like, yes, that's what he does. That's what he does like many times a week is to reach the top shelf. Right. Well, see, I think clothing stores, unlike regular stores, is a joke on tall people. Because they put all the bigger sizes on the bottom and they keep making us bend down for them. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you, you like get that exercise in. Right. Get the stretches in. Get right. the reps in. They're like, the short people stocking everything like, we can't reach the top shelf. You got to get everything off the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you know, at the bodegas in New York City that are, you know, like delis or whatever, little, little t- small marts, markets. Um, they, uh, the good ones will have the little pinchy things 
to get something off of a top shelf that you could just use yourself, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and I really appreciate that because the, the bodega is recognizing that not, not all heights are created equally. And they just don't want to be bothered with someone me, like me being like, oh, can you grab me the paper towels, please, or whatever, you know? So they just have the pinchy things out. It's great. The, the guy's like, you're ruining my online poker game. Go get it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a distraction to do here. <laughs> Well, with Bird Girl being on Adult Swim and recording uh, through a pandemic, uh, do you have your own home studio set up at this point or like, you know? We did. We actually, so we recorded a handful of the episodes in studio before the pandemic. And this just shows like how long it takes to make animation. It just takes forever. Um, so we had recorded, I don't know, maybe five or six episodes before the pandemic. And then we, sh- we recorded um, I think just one episode during the pandemic in our, like all of our, uh, and I keep waiting for them to call me back and being like, look, this sounds like garbage. You gotta cut, you gotta come back into studio for this one. Um, but I haven't gotten that call. So, uh, yeah, so there's going to be like an episode of bird girl that will hopefully sound the same as the rest, but I don't know. Um, and, uh, and then, and then, you know, and they've opened up all the studios, my first actual job, um, you know, in person in the pandemic was doing an audio book that I had to go into studio to do. So, um, you know, so this, so a lot of the studios are open and they've got their like whole protocols figured out and all of that stuff. So, uh, it's great. I mean, there was, there was one, one point where I, I, I did a show called Retro Tech that's now available to on YouTube, a big, one of the uh, YouTubers, big, um, tech shows. And, um, and Retro Tech was was shooting at a at a at a um a studio in New Jersey, and you know again this is like like in the summer or whatever early in the pandemic, and I I've, I've never been more excited to go to New Jersey. <laughs> I mean I was like get me into a studio this is fun. People you first. say I can see people face to face, but I have to do it in New Jersey. Fine, I'll do it. New Jersey sounds great. But Pennsylvania uh, so, is out of the question, right? <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a I don't know if you recognize this about me, but I'm a people person. And uh so the <laughs> yeah, just a skosh, you notice. Um and so the this pandemic I think has been really tough for people like me because I just want to be out there with people, you know, like that's where I feel normal. Um I'm like I do co-working spaces where I can be surrounded by dozens of people who are also working. Otherwise I don't, you know, I don't I'm not a, like a quiet room type of person. Uh, and, uh, and I've actually done this remarkable thing, which is that I made friends during the pandemic because we all, there, a bunch of people would gather at a coffee shop near, near my apartment and, uh, we would all just drink, you know, have our coffees outside. And this became the coffee crew. Uh, it's just about showing up to a coffee place around the same time every morning, um, you know, and talking a bunch of nothingness and, uh, and making friendships. And now I, and it like it's truly helped me survive the pandemic is just making uh, awesome new neighborhood friends. See, this is hilarious because two nights ago I was talking to my friend Jimmy about the one thing I absolutely miss about the 90s was the late night coffee houses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? so what happened in the late night coffee houses? Uh, Just like we, we all grew up and could go to bars. Right. <laughs> right. No, that makes sense. But I was, you know, when I was in high school, um, I used to go to a coffee shop at night, uh, and like the, thought I was the coolest person ever. Right. It's like nine 30 and I get to go have coffee. And yeah, then you're like, totally. And then you're like, this is dirty water. I had Turkish coffee this morning. That's still kicking my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But the nineties. <laughs> See, whereas you, you were in an apartment and going to coffee houses and making friends, I was like, all right, who can I X out of my life? What can I get rid of? Who can I get rid of? <laughs> this is the greatest thing for an, in- you know, I really want to see you, but uh, pandemic can't do it. Pandemic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I know. It's like two different. <laughs> worlds um like of yeah i i really struggled um <laughs> and then there are some people who just like didn't struggle but even but even but even by the like now things are better right so there's so much vaccine out there and things are open um so much more open and you could do a bunch more things now 
But there was a period like in February where even like my introvert friends were like calling me up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, can we go on a, on a stroll? What can we do? <laughs> and I'd be like, wow. All right. Let's do this. You know, I'm game. Yeah. You went for a walk in the park half an hour later. Like it's too cold. It's snowing. Let's go inside. <laughs> I learned. So New York basically has a two month winter. It is January and February are the months that they just, they just suck. You know what I mean? They're not that bad, but like, and I just really learned what temperature means. Um, so I grew up in the desert, like in the heat. Um, but I've been, you know, on the East coast for like, forever. And, um, and you know, cause I even went here, went to college in upstate New York. Um, and I learned throughout this pandemic, like I can do stand up in 30 degree weather. No problem. I can do, I can do a, I can hang out and do a brunch in like 30, as low as like 32. Um, if it's heated, I can go down to 25. I mean, I learned so much about temperature and what I can handle outside. It's crazy. I dig it. With, but with that, with stand-up comedy, you know, like traditionally it was the clubs and then it was the arenas, depending how, how the career progressed. And now like I picked on Andrew Schultz because, you know, he even admitted that he was, he was a hypocrite about moving from New York to Miami because New York got too cold and couldn't go anywhere. Um, you know, like he cares. He, the guy's a millionaire and I'm nobody can be, <laughs> but like, you know, renting out ballrooms or doing corporate gigs or, you know, family functions. I remember Adam Hunter did one where, He'd get hired to roast people at their weddings, like, or, you know, like ambush, ambush stand up comedy type stuff. Right. Like, how is that different than being in a club in comparison to doing a corporate gig or being hired for a ballroom or something more specific? And like, you know, cause sensibilities are different. Like when you go to a comedy club, you know that this is blue material or more taboo material that isn't mainstream or this isn't necessarily, you know, the ultra woke crowd that's going to get offended because you know, you, I don't know, were sucking on your teeth or whatever. And, you know, that rub, that triggered some poor memory from the third grade. Yeah. You know, like, how does it change? I mean, I, I think, um, you know, when I'm hired to do a corporate gig, like I really try and give them what they want, which is, a, you know, they generally want it to be cleaner. Like they do want a little bit of a like a roasting element of the company, you know, something that everyone can laugh at. Um, they, you know, I, so I try and kind of give them what they, what they want and you know, they're paying for it. Um, so that's nice. But at a comedy club, it is the, this, the spirit of like, you know, like you said, of like, you can be blue, you can try stuff out. Um, it's just a completely different world, um, of trying, of trying stuff out. Uh, it's funny. I was on, um, a show with Chuck Nice last night and, um, you know, and, and Chuck is just like this fantastic, phenomenal comedian. Um, and I've never seen him do badly. Like he's just always kills. Um, and, uh, and he, he, he like did some stuff, um, you know, on, um, on race and it was so fascinating. And I was talking to him afterwards and I was just like, oh my gosh, you're like really, you know, like going there and, uh, and, you know, and that's, that's what you can, you can kind of see, like, will, will like really see, like actual insightful discussion on race work, you know? Um, and when you're like at that level, I think you can try a lot of stuff, you know? Um, also because, uh, you know, that's the thing with fame too, is that audiences will give you a lot more of a runway and sometimes they'll give you fake laughs. Um, you know, so, uh, I, I luckily don't have that problem. Not famous, famous enough to get fake laughs, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like, unless it's from your husband trying to appease you. <laughs> no, my husband's like the worst. He will not fake laugh anything. He's just like, uh, you know, he's been living with a comedian for too long. That works. And then your mom just won't laugh at anything anyway, because she's like, you still should have gone to engineering school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, why are you saying these things out loud about our family? <laughs> that didn't happen like that. <laughs> but it exactly. works for the joke. Yeah. Uh, Third Street Blackout is now on Peacock. What is it like when you, you know, you made a movie that was about five years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. And now all of a sudden it, it catches a new streaming life. 
and people have picked up on it in a different format. Like, is it surprising when something you've done a while ago now comes to the surface in a different light and is catching fire with a different audience? Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's great. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it is, it, it is, it's weird because, and I, you see it happen. I also did a show, um, called Year Million and that was for National Geographic. And now since Disney Plus's, um, shows all of the National Geographic stuff, Year Million got again, this like second wind on, on Disney Plus. So I got people, you know, emailing me from like India and stuff like that being like, I saw you're, you're, you're really funny on Year Million. And I'm like, what? And I didn't even know that it had been on. And so I'm like, that's so weird. Like, why am I suddenly getting all of these, you know, uh, messages from a thing that was on TV like two years ago? And it's because of the streaming. So yeah, Third Street Blackout is is getting this really great second win. And and it's a you know in its own way, it's a period piece. And the period was 2012, like because it, it's based, um, it's set in the um, it's a romantic comedy set in the. Um, the blackout that happened during Hurricane Sandy here in New York City. And I was here for that blackout for five days. That's how long the blackout lasted. And, um, and it was, it was like a, a full half of Manhattan that was in the blackout. And there were some other random parts around the state and in the tri-state area. But that, that those five days in Manhattan were like truly magical. Um, and now it's, you know, it feels like, it's like historical, you know what I mean, at this point. So, um, so Third Street Blackout is, is like a, a little rom-com in a time capsule, um, experiencing this, this second wind on, on Peacock. I think that was the first time we actually talked to each other was for that movie. Yeah, it must have been, it must have been 2016, 2016 before, um, the Trump administration, before, you know, we were still young and innocent then. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm one of the, I'm one of those Iranians. The, the, they sit there and they're like, Oh, so what are you most excited about? And I was like, I'll let you know when something happens to Jimmy Carter. And everyone gets like, but the guy, Habitat for Humanity guy was like, drove the shot out of Iran. <laughs> so <laughs> you're still waiting for something I'm, to happen. I'm like, there's that level of bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I'm not one of those guys that's like, don't worry. Result come in and t-. no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that much faith in the monarchy to make it make a triumphant return, but <laughs> yeah, at this point, it it doesn't seem likely. You know what I mean? I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> I, I think after 1987, everyone kind of gave up on that. <laughs> yeah, with, with something like like you know, Third Street Blackout, and it gets its resurgence. Your million gets its resurgence. Like, have people found your old stand up on YouTube or or you know wherever and go? Oh, your, your like second act from X year is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't even remember doing those jokes. Honestly, this, it's so weird because people do sometimes, um, you know, like, like, Someone stopped me the other day. It is remarkable because they recognized me. I was while I was wearing a mask, which I thought was crazy. Like I thought for sure no one would notice a mask wearing person. And and they and they referenced something that was in my book. And that I, I had a book that came out in 2016 as well called How to Make White People Laugh. And I looked at them like, Are you sure you're referencing the right book? Like I don't. There, I, I don't. It's so crazy how memory works and how these like kind of, you know, you do these huge projects and you pour your life and soul into them. And then you kind of forget everything about them. (laughs) Like just a couple years later, you're like, I'm sorry, I have no recollection. Did I write a book? Um, And so I, uh, so that, that kind of thing, this, you know, this, this person who stopped me um, on the streets in Manhattan, uh, like was like referencing something I wrote in there. And I really like, I, and I, you know, and then I just sort of laughed along and I acted like I knew what they were talking about. And then I, uh, I came home and I was like, oh, and I just like, you know, thumbed through the chapters and found it. But, uh, yeah, it is weird. It's sort of like you're never, you're almost also like never allowed to like just graduate onto something because the thing is always still available. I mean, I mean, I guess that's, that's been the case. I mean, people's comedy albums have always been available. Um, but now it's just so much more accessible. And so old stuff can just easily come to the surface. And part of you wants to say on some of those things, 
Hey, like I've, I'm, I'm matured. I've matured since then. Please don't judge me. Um, you know, but, and also in another sense, it's like, oh, that's like, that's like, that's nice. It's like a little, again, like a time capsule of who I was then. It's kind of like a video yearbook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bad haircuts and all. And yeah. Oh God. I can't. Some of the outfits anyway. <laughs> hey, I've had the Please, same haircut for 15 years. So what hair. can I do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want listeners to, uh, to start like, you know, trolling through our old things just right. to like find. <laughs> well, it, it stuff could, we could be ashamed of. Yeah, but it could have been like, you know, you had an Ellen DeGeneres or Paula Poundstone career where you go back 35 years and find the really bad vest and ugly tie phase. <laughs> you know, I do, um, I have to say about Paula Poundstone, uh, I, I do, wait, wait, don't tell me. And, um, she's, you know, a regular on the show and, um, you know, beloved, beloved. And she's so fantastic and she's so funny and she's just effortlessly funny all the time. Like that's just what she's always like. And, um, and she was wearing, you know, I, I had a chat with her about the suits and I was just like, how do you do it? Because she still wears, you know, it, it, maybe you don't see her in the, in the audio format, but she wears these like ornate, um, suits. They're striped. They've got designs. They've got this. They've got that. I mean, it, it's like every, for every show that I've been with her, um, she's wearing some really phenomenal suit. So I would say Paula Poundstone would look back at her suit collection and just be like, you're welcome. <laughs> you know? Or look back and go, you know what? I can still pull that jacket off. Yeah. Yeah. Where is that coat? <laughs> Let me go find that. <laughs> she's just got like six closets full of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I feel, I feel like I've never even seen her in the same suit twice. So it's like there must, she, she must have, she must have thousands at this point. Okay. You keep busy even during a pandemic. Some of your previous stuff is getting a second resurgence. You're doing voice acting now on top of everything else. What are you not doing besides sleeping? Um, guys, I gotta be honest. I, I haven't touched mime and I think mime is the perfect pandemic art because you're almost touching people, but you don't, you're only fake touching anything. There's no real surfaces involved. So I don't know. I'm looking into it. It could be a good, it could be a next genre for me. Mime. Mime. Okay. Well, you also are on TikTok. So is that where we're going to find your belly dancing videos? <laughs> People ask me all that. I know I'm newly, I've only been on TikTok for like two months or something. And I, uh, and people ask me all the time, like, do you dance on TikTok? And I just want to assure everybody that I absolutely do not dance on TikTok. So what's the point you of following not, me on TikTok? Come on. <laughs> you will not be assaulted with my dancing moves. Uh, so do not worry about that. Um, but I do, uh, I, you know, it's, it's mostly just jokes. And, and also dumb jokes and then other forms of jokes. Okay. Is the next phase a children's book since, you know, you're a mother now? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, um, and, you know, a lot of people do go through like a children's book. I still, um, I've learned that uh, I love my daughter. You know, she's the best thing I've ever done, et cetera. Uh, also, um, when I'm in my work life though, I do not like thinking about kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> my daughter's fantastic. And then when I'm working, I would like to have nothing to do with children. <laughs> so that's where I'm her, at. Her and your husband don't exist during the work period. Yeah. Yeah. During the work day, I am, uh, no, no, thank you. And then the only time there's a crossover is when I'm doing stand up where I'm making fun of them. Right. That's fair. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't see myself getting too into, uh, children's books. See, that's why you had the child. You're like, I need new material. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Bird Girl has been a hit so far. You know, it, it's very much Harvey Birdman, attorney at law sensibilities. There's a lot going on. I knew Brewster was Bird Girl, and then I'm watching the the show, and I'm like, who is that? She sounds great. And then I realized it was Paget again, and I was like, oh, yeah, because Paget stars in the show. Like, you know when you hear a voice and you don't realize it's it's yeah. them? You know, but yeah. you get 
but with you, you get to use your voice a little bit closer to your natural speaking ha- uh, patterns. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what they wanted from me, um, and uh, and it's been really fun. And I think it, you know, and it's funny too because we had the the pandemic break there with recording, and I came back, and they're like, they're like, uh, it was months since I had talked to any of the producers, and they're like, do you need to hear? what you did. And I was like, I do. Who was that character? (laughs) I have no recollection. Um, but yeah, she's a little, she's like a little closer to me. Um, and then the relate, you know, the, the, the relationship that my character gets to have with Paget Brewster, they're like besties. It's super fun. And then we have like Tony Hale coming in offering way too many massages. Uh, you know, he's a ridiculous character and obviously like a genius comic actor, you know, and there's people like Rob, uh, Rob Delaney in the show. I mean, the like Kether Donahue um, from You're the Worst. If, for those of you, You're the Worst fans, like she's just fantastic, so funny. Yeah, she's also um, on Be Positive so, right now, right? Uh, oh yeah, maybe she. I don't know. Yeah, she's on um, Be Positive. She uh, she's a recurring character on there. So yeah, so it's like the the cast they summoned is like really fantastic. When you watch the cartoon now, you know, now that it's finally aired, uh, and there's a bit of your own mannerisms in Meredith, like how weird is that? It's so funny. I mean, wait, so let me tell you the weirdest experience I had with watching it, which was, so I've only seen the first episode. The second episode has aired. And by the time this show, you're, you, you upload this, um, there'll be three or four episodes, I think, yeah. but I've only seen one. And, um, and I was, we did like this YouTube premiere where like the cast kind of, um, commented along the show as it was airing. And, um, and it was really fun. A bunch of diehard fans were there. I mean, thousands of people was crazy and it was really great. Um, and someone said, my character's name is Meredith. And someone said, is Meredith pregnant? And Meredith is not pregnant, by the way, for in the first episode, so long as anyone knows Meredith is not pregnant. But I was like, is my animated form getting body shamed? <laughs> I mean, I'm used to me getting body shamed as a human person living in the world, but like, I cannot believe my animated version of me is getting body shamed right now in a YouTube comment. Like, what has happened? People really need to dial it in. Nobody questions that she's green. Nobody questions that there's a talking dog. No but, one questions the, the mind taking, right. the man eating toilet. No, it's the like, is she pregnant though? Cause that she looks big in the stomach. <laughs> That's like hilarious. pregnant, inflamed. Did she have a few pizzas last night? Let's talk about Meredith's stomach. Right. It's her celiac disease acting up. She's bloating up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, if Meredith's Iranian, you know, she, she's lactose intolerant. So that's why she's bloated. She had that pizza. <laughs> Can I tell you that like one of my, one of my, the, my mom's saddest days is where I was like, I don't really eat that much rice. It hurts my stomach. She was like, what? You know what I mean? But I really don't eat that much rice. It hurts my stomach. (laughs) Iranians don't at me. (laughs) I wish I could. I really wish I could eat more. I eat it very occasionally. There's only so much rice you can eat though. I mean, Iranians will do it every single day. Yes, there, I am. for them there is not only so much rice you can right. rice you can eat is unlimited. Right, rice with with your eggs, rice with your syrup. No, I'm <laughs> rice <laughs> pudding. Yeah. yeah, they like they'll find a they found a way to work rice into ice cream. They're ridiculous. Yeah, that that rice and custard thing. Oh. Yeah, 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 it's kind of like a noodley thing, but still, yeah, might but as well be right. That's not my thing, and everyone looks at me like I'm weird about it. It's an acquired taste. Yes. It wasn't for me when I was a kid. As an adult, I'm more like, oh, I see. I see what's happening here. Right. So you left your parents in Palm Springs and you moved to New York just to get as far away from your parents without leaving the country. I completely understand. (laughs) Essentially. Essentially. (laughs) So the mime thing, when does the mime workshop begin? Oh my gosh. I, uh, follow me on all the things and you'll know, you'll, you'll, you'll see me do some really, really 
probably mediocre miming <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> and those will be your dancing videos on TikTok. We'll just yeah, in, I won't. Yeah, I won't dance, but I'll mime that I'm at a in a at a dance floor. There you go. Uh, I would be remiss. You you got to work with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, he is the epitome of scholar athlete. Like the ancients would have been in love with him. You know, he's a, he's a scientist. He's he's a wrestler. You know, he was all those all of the above. He's a doctor. You know, um, which your mom is probably more proud of her him than she is of us at this point. You know, true, like, true, at true. least he went became doctor first, then entertainer, yeah. not the other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you get to sit with somebody like him, and he has that level of awe and uh, uh, reverence from from the general crowd, but you get to know him as an individual. What's the difference from transition of fan to personal interaction? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I think like, you know, the first time I did his show, I was like, didn't know. Um, also like, I didn't know what level of, because the whole point of comedians on his shows is that we sort of interrupt with a dumb joke to make things palatable, um, to keep things light. You know, sometimes we'll like, you know, translate something that scientists said in a really dumb way that makes it more fun. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the more interesting things about, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is that he is just loves comedy and he is so funny himself. Uh, he just, there's just no shortage of, uh, jokes and sometimes they're dad jokes and sometimes they're just like total like nerdy science jokes. And sometimes they're just like straight up. That's a good riff, Neil, you know? Um, he's so down and game. I think that's one of the things that makes him so remarkable. Like, um, and able to communicate these ideas and kind of able to make science, fun for people. Um, and he has fans that are just of every age group. Uh, you know, he has people, you know, cause we, we get these, these listener mails and they'll be like, Oh, I'm a 10 year old aspiring astrophysicist, you know? And, uh, and so I think that's amazing. So to be, to be able to like do that with your life, to make science exciting for people, um, you know, it's great. And, and I, I was, I was nervous at first, but then when I realized how down he was for comedy in general, like how into it he is, it, you know, it made my job so much easier. Would it be less fun if he was the stuffy straight man? Um, yeah, like I think so because he just, he wants science to feel like a party, you know, and, um, a stuffy straight man wouldn't want science to feel like a party, right? Um, but science should feel like a party. Like it is. It's so fascinating. Uh, we just did an episode on cicadas. There's a giant brood X coming. Um, they'll probably be hatching by the time this, this airs. And, uh, you know, brood X is huge, um, for, for people who are along the northeastern coast of the United States, um, just sort of like the, Eastern half. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be a ton, a ton, a ton of cicadas and they only come out every 17 years. And, uh, you know, we, I, I never thought I cared about cicadas until I co-hosted this episode and learned so much about them and how they live and how they die, like pretty quickly die. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and how weird a number 17 is, like why 17 years and not 15 or 20, you know, like, so there's all these weird, interesting things in the world of, um, of stars, of biology, of entomology, you know, um, and, you know, it's like, he gets to talk about all of them and then make other people excited. It's like, you know, it's a party that you didn't know you wanted to go to. I, I would love to see Neil deGrasse Tyson at a flat earth conference. <laughs> yeah, that would be, uh, he would, he would, uh, charmingly, uh, turn that around. <laughs> Just, because I know he could also entertain, uh, you know, entertain the idea enough to like not dump on the people's beliefs. Right. Yeah. Like he'll take the premise. He'll take like, let's think about the premise, you know? Right. And then he'll be like, and this is why it's not working. 
Well, like I saw one interview because people, you know, automatically assumed that he was an atheist, you know, because he was a scientist. So they, they went pro atheist. Like I never said I was an atheist. And then some other argument went that, you know, he said he was a pro theist. He said, I also never said I was a theist. Like you guys are putting it on me. I've never publicly said one thing or another. And that's what I respect about him is because whatever his religious views are, they have nothing to do with his professional views. Right. Yeah. yeah and I think it's, fu- that's the funny thing too. I mean, you know, I know um, my dad's a doctor and, and, you know, I know a lot of like doctors obviously. And, um, and I think it's interesting to be able to like, you can compartmentalize the, your things, you know, um, as I, as I think I do as a Muslim, like I'm not your, I'm not your garden variety, like practicing Muslim. I'm this other form. I'm more cultural than anything else. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, I, 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 I've, created a life in which that makes sense to me um and 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 but but then some of the basic tenets of like being good um are are things that i embrace and that those basic tenets are true to like so many religions i mean i think that part of religion is great you know um so you became sufi so so i got i got cbd oils right here You know, you got your dervish, uh, yeah, your yeah. Hands and everything going, and then you're gonna like yeah, do a tea for everybody. Wor- I was just doing some whirlings before we got on this call. Oh. I was whirling. The real talent is that is when they're pouring the tea and don't spill it out of the cups. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I think there's like some transparent lid. I don't know. Something's going on. <laughs> We have to poke fun because, you know, the world is still falling apart and we haven't come out of everything <laughs> just yet. <laughs> yeah, like I said, author, mother, comedian, actress, voice actor on top of it. Uh, you mentioned the body shaming thing, which was funny because I had interviewed a voice actor once and I said, oh, my friend wanted me to tell you they really loved you in XYZ when they were a kid. And he paused and he looked at me and he was like, I was in that. I was like, I guess so. Uh, I I do have to ask about working with Margaret Cho, though, because Margaret Cho's from my old neighborhood in San Francisco, and she did oh. a bit where she got kicked out of Lowell High School over there, which was which was the school up the street, which is hilarious, because there was a documentary about that school, and apparently it's harder than most universities. <laughs> you know, so what was it like working yeah. with Margaret? She's awesome. We like, she's so fun and funny and, um, into it. I mean, so she was on my podcast, Fake the Nation. And, um, and the, the show is like me and a rotating cast of comedians. So people like Margaret Cho, Samantha Bee has done the show, Neil deGrasse Tyson has done the show, John Hodgman, Kamal, W. Kamal Bell. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we, we bring on these comics to just like, spew whatever they're thinking about the current political climate, about whatever cultural thing is in the news. And, um, and she, you know, she's so funny. She's so politically active. She's really like active, a big activist in the LGBTQ plus, um, issues on, on trans issues. She was just gearing up to do, um, a BDSM festival that had to move online. Um, this, I don't remember when this was this, this sometime in the summer, I think, but, uh, she had to do, so she was, you know, gearing up to do an online BDSM festival. Cause she's like such a, um, you know, renowned member of the BDSM community. She was, she, but she's so, it's just like, she's so fun about all of those things. Um, and in a way that makes, um, a lot of those issues, like feel more accessible, you know, just because she's so fun and open and transparent about them. I'm just a little confused as to how you can move that type of festival to an online setting when it's so interactive. I mean, I think there's the, 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 just the, the performance aspect of it probably. I don't know. I didn't go actually, but, um, cause it sounds like something that needed to be a shared experience. Yeah, I don't I don't know how the normal <laughs> festival is handled. I have no idea. But it, whatever it was, but I was like, you know what? This sounds fun. Right. <laughs> Just well, to, as a, a spectator. Well, from my limited understanding of what it is to, you know, and how interactive it is versus how it would appear online, it's just like my brain's trying to reconcile. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> you said your dad was a doctor. What type of doctor was your dad again? 
He's a cardiovascular thoracic surgeon. Oh, so he went very light in the field. Still working. Still working on top of everything else? Yeah. That man never has never stopped. At least he loves what he does. Yeah, he's got that immigrant work ethic. So, yeah. uh, yeah. How, you know, with, with your dad being a doctor and everything else, you know, how did that influence you? Because the work ethic is instilled in you because you're breaking your back as much as he is in his industry. You know, like there's, there's gotta be that portion of his, his uh, success inherent in you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like why I, I do so many different, you know, things because, um, like a, like being in entertainment is just really weird and you need to like figure out ways of diversifying your income so that you can like make it and not be a waitress, you know? Um, and so that, that's something, um, I, you know, I realized I had to do early on. Uh, and, and I think also just because I do have that like immigrant work ethic, you know, just really born into me from my parents. Like I was always a straight A student. I was always in a hundred after school activities. I uh, was always just overdoing it. And, um, and so, uh, probably looking for the, um, you know, the affirmation from my parents that would never come, (laughs) but, you know, but I think that that has really like affected me just the, just the immigrant work ethic and seeing how hard they work throughout my life. Um, and you know, I, and and it's actually really inspirational. I mean, I don't think people should overdo it, but, uh, but to see what my parents were able to achieve, um, I think was really inspirational. Well, you said you never got it from your parents, but you were a straight A student. Were like you a straight A student on American standards or were you like a straight A student on Iranian standards? Because, you know, Iranian standards are 93 is an F. Right. No, I, I was, um, I had over, I was one of those people that had over a 4.0 GPA, G, GPA. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. I think I was pretty, I was pretty straight A on Iranian standards. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, the, there was a sketch some uh, Osuri guy did in uh, in Chicago. It was a little sketch show, and the one of the guys was interested in the girls, and she's just like, you know, he's really nice, but he has a three point nine GPA, so he's kind of stupid. And I was dying. <laughs> yeah, oh God, I I probably did that to myself at various <laughs> points in my life where I was like. 93, you know, like it's a good thing. This is, I get, I, a good thing I get to keep working on this. Make sure that my, uh, my average is up to a 99 by the time the semester is over. <laughs> Can I do extra credit? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, like college kind of knocked that out of me. My first year in college, like I didn't do as well. Um, and you know, and then I did pretty good, but like, but that first year in college, I was like, Oh, college is harder than high school. <laughs> It is harder, you know. College is more fun, um, though. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but I was I was I thought I could just like magically do everything that I did in high school, and I re- realized it was like a rude awakening in college. See, the best thing about college, and I had no idea, and the professor knew I was a freshman, was I took the first exam of the semester. And I finished the exam, and I sat there, and he's like, "You're a freshman, huh?" I said, "Yeah." I was like, "How'd you know?" And he's like. Because you're still here. You can leave. And I was like, wait, we can leave after we take the test? This is amazing. <laughs> oh, those little things. Yes. That's what made college better than high school. You finish the test, yeah, you can yeah. leave. You can leave. Yeah, that's the only thing that made it better. <laughs> and you didn't have to schedule your first class at 7 a.m. unless you were crazy like me. Right. That's what I did. My first semester, I scheduled a really early class and then I was realized nobody did that. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What class was yours that you scheduled that was super early? French. Microbiology. (laughs) Oh, that sounds awful. Yes. (laughs) At at 7am, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, microbiology was awful. (laughs) That sounds really bad. Yeah. So, Everything you have going on right now, the world is opening up. New York is opening up. You've been vaccinated. What do you want to see come for the rest of 2021? 
Oh man. Yeah. I just, um, I just hope I get, you know, I, I, I gotten a couple emails about doing shows in other places. So I hope that, that those things happen, um, that I can, you know, get back on the road a little bit and do some comedy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that's what my real hope is that, and that, and that a lot of Americans feel safe enough to like, go to shows, go to the movies, go do the things out there with people that kind of make life worth living. Um, You're making it hard uh, for us introverts now, you know. (laughs) This is all for you extroverted people. No, but introverts (laughs) like entertainment. I know, I'm teasing. Um, If I didn't, I wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah, no, there it is. Yeah, there it is. I'd just read your book and write a review and run away. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. What are you hoping for for 2021? Oh my god, just some level of rationale. Just reasonability. You know, I think everybody around here was either chicken little the sky's falling or tigger and nothing bothered them. You know, there was like no middle ground. I wanted people to like make sense. You know. Yeah. Middle ground for 2021. Yay. Uh, yes. Going into 2022. <laughs> Reasonability is what I want. Yeah. Just be cool, guys. Just be cool. <laughs> By the way, when you come, when you come out to California and you go to the area where you grew up, have you performed stand-up comedy out there? I have never performed stand-up comedy in, I grew up in Palm Springs, California. Um, it's a weird resort town. I was a townie. Uh, it is a weird, in fact, weird place to grow up. Um, and the only time I've really done any performing there was I, I, one of my films was, um, at the Palm Springs International Film Festival. And so they at the height, they arranged for me to speak at the assembly of the high school that I went to. Um, and that was traumatizing because the high school was already great. Like, High school already had left some wounds. Um, and to go back and speak, you know, in front of like a thousand, um, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders, uh, and you know, people who are just the worst, like, people in high school are the worst. I was the worst when I was in high school, you know, we were all the worst. Um, and so I was, I had to do, I did some jokes on that stage. Um, and that was, uh, I mean, they got some laughs. But it was a very scary. It was the. It was. It was probably the the scariest gig I've ever done. Is that gig? <laughs> and the part you're leaving out is that your high school bully is now the math teacher. <laughs> oh my god! I got to look up my high school bully yeah. and see what happened to that guy. Oh, it was a guy. No, I mean oh, it wasn't even a guy. It was just a collection of people that weren't really nice. It wasn't one person. It was just a few people who weren't nice. Well, that's all a high you school. Know. Yeah, yeah. You know, like people were surprised I never went back to any of the reunions. I was like, why? I didn't want to see you guys for free. Now you're going to make me pay a hundred bucks to see you. <laughs> I went. I was so curious to see what happened to people. See, with the 10 year MySpace was available. That's how old I am. Oh, you know, that God. like I could just look them up, the people I was actually right. interested in seeing and go, okay, they're not worth talking to next. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And then the 20 year came about and Facebook's alive. And so you get to sit there and do that again and go, eh, I'm good. <laughs> Saved a hundred bucks. Didn't have to get out of my pajamas. Oh, I just find it so fascinating to see what happened, what happens to people. <laughs> yeah. Well, my reunions were always around comic con too, and we're busy covering that. So oh, yeah. yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm the one winning that one where I get to be in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Well, comic con. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, being a mother, an actress, everything else that's going around, uh, you know, you're, you're a bit of an indie darling as well with your films. Is there this fear that going from indie to more, more mainstream, like something that'll be bigger budget will hinder your creativity? Um, I mean, you know, like at this point I've sold, I've sold a couple of scripts to major studios um, that haven't been made. So I haven't like truly dealt with that problem yet. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've been a, you know, I've been an actor and stuff in big productions, but, um, but in terms of like being a director and work and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, and that definitely happens because, you know, even, even at the development stage, uh, you know, when you're dealing, when you're working with a studio and, and, and generating scripts for studio, um, 
you have to take their notes. You know what I mean? You don't have to take all of them, but you do have to like take a lot of notes. I mean, the process is there to make the product better and make the product more what the studio wants to stand behind. And that sometimes means less what you want to see. Um, and so there, there is a give and take, but obviously it comes with like a budget and, you know, an ability to be able to like make something. Um, you get to like stretch your vision, you know, um, to bigger places in a way, you know, with all my independent films, um, you know, I didn't, I, I, I always, I operated my imagination within a budget and that's, you know, that's really different. Okay. I'm going to leave you with this. What does it look like when Negan sells out? And I'm using air quotes for the people that can't see this. (laughs) When I sell out, um, like, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know because, because I can, I can make an argument for everything is not selling out. I mean, uh, like if I've gone QAnon, then I'm not only sold out, I've like lost my mind. So there, there's a, Okay. Then we'll call it buying there's in. There's a marker. We'll call it buying in then. <laughs> yeah. And the correct answer was an M5. <laughs> oh yeah i don't even own a car so like i don't that's like <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this you know personal anecdote uh, a buddy of mine went to a wedding and every car in the parking lot was either a white mercedes or a black bmw and the valets had the toughest time in finding everybody's car except his because when he gave, we gave him the ticket, they were so excited. They knew exactly which car his was. And it was a red Jeep Wrangler that pulled up and everybody just gave him dirty looks. And he's like, what? At least I know which one's mine. <laughs> you know what? I honestly can't even, like, I can't even picture any of those cars. Like all my, my brain only knows cab, not cab. That's all I can under, like, that's all I understand. I have, you know how some people have face blindness. I have car blindness. <laughs> Well, you've, you know, you've lost a stamp on your Iranian card and not having either I know, or I BMW. Don't worry. I lost the same stamp, so it's okay. <laughs> Where can we find you on social media if we want to connect? YouTube, yeah, TikTok, everything else. You can uh, subscribe to my podcast, Fake the Nation, wherever you get your podcast. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all at Nagin Farsad. Um, and, uh, I would love to connect with you there. Nagin Farsad, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, just shooting the breeze, having some fun. Bird Girl, again, is, is a huge hit. Everybody's loving it. You're working on so many other things. Yeah, I, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I know you got to get back to the baby at some point or at least, you know, pretend that, that you're still talking to me to avoid her for a little while longer. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for giving me a break from my baby. Um, and, uh, and yeah, thanks so much about Bird Girl. It's so exciting. Thanks so much for having me talk about it.